We're going to talk about something cool. We always talk about something cool. Rabbits and soldiers, what are you? A rabbit or a soldier? What I've been doing uh, over these weeks, and uh, if, you, if you're interested and you want to listen to anything that's been before, um, most of the sermons, whoever's giving them, are up online. Uh, you know, jerichorodchurch.com, jerichorodchurch.com. Um, because I've done, I'm doing a series on, on the armor of God, which is at the end of Ephesians, where Paul is sitting chained to a Roman soldier. And the Roman soldiers um, were not, you know, bunnies. They were, they were hardened men. They were, they were used to warfare. They were used to authority. They were used to being in charge. They were bullies, probably. Um, they, were, they, they were tough. If you've been in the army and you're working with Marines and stuff, you don't, you know, I don't feel like it doesn't come into the equation. And so Paul has learned, and we've talked about this many times, and I just love this picture of, of Paul, this little man who looked so ineffective, but it was so incredibly powerful. In fact, you know, his Roman soldier type of character would have outshone most of the guys who were changing him. He was twice their age. And he, showed, he, he, he learned and he showed us how to say that you can be victorious even when you're a prisoner. We spend our lives fixated on, Lord, if you could just get me out of this, then I will be. Anybody thinking that right now? No. Good luck, because when you're out of this, you'll be in something else. And you will be. That's the, that's, that's the mindset of a rabbit. Run away. Hop away. Get me out of here. And God, as somebody once said, he spent 20 years getting you in there, in the sense of it's in there that he's going to be able to work on you. And so there's this Roman, so Paul sits next to the Roman soldier, and if we were doing a, a skit here, he might say, it must suck to be you. And the Roman soldier goes, you're chained to me and I've got the armor and I can walk out of here. And he says, yeah, but I'm free. And you're still actually a prisoner to Rome and you're all this. I'm actually willing to die. And I'm going to tell you about Jesus, the one who changed my life. And you can't run away, so it must suck to be you. And so he used the opportunity because it, was, it says in the Bible, the whole Praetorian God began to follow Jesus, or a lot of them. And the very thing that was meant to actually suffocate Paul and intimidate him was the thing that God used his house arrest in Rome for two years was used to actually implant the gospel in the capital and the center of one of the world's most powerful places. So don't underestimate what God can do. And so Paul one day when he was writing Ephesians, he's looking at the soldier and he's, he might have said, hey buddy, I'm going to use you as an illustration. And he says, put on the armor of God. And so we've talked about, he, he started with the belt of truth because he was really saying to those who follow Jesus, um, you're going to need to learn how to stand and you're going to have to learn how to take ground. And I want to qualify this by saying we live in this culture right now where we blame everybody else. Stop it. Just stop it. I was in the army, and if I didn't get up in time, I'm sorry I was tired. Nobody would have said, John, go back to bed. You're not allowed to blame others when you're in the army because they actually hold you responsible. And so there's, he, he said, put on the belt of truth. And the belt of truth was this relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, I am truth. This teaching is often taught if you know enough, if you learn enough, and you can quote the gospel enough, that's truth. It's not truth. Truth is Jesus and a relationship with him because it has to be accessible to everyone, not just people who can have degrees or, or read and write. It's got to be accessible to everyone. And so Jesus is the truth, the belt of truth. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we talked about that as being the identity because of what God did. God has made you worthy. Christianity is the only faith 
in the world where it talks about a God who comes to us and says, I have taken the punishment and all the stuff that is in you that disqualifies you, I've taken that on myself so that you can actually enter into a relationship with me that was lost through Adam. There's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of unfairness, but I've made it fair because I've taken it on myself. I've made it right. So the, right, the truth is what Jesus, who Jesus is, what he did. The righteousness is the identity that he won for me. I am now a son of the living God, a daughter of the living God. Then he says, put on the boots of, uh, of the gospel of peace, which is stand in peace, which means stand in security. Stand in the peace of knowing that God will never leave you, that you are divinely uh, loved and, and he surrounds you, he embraces you. Most people's lives are full of fear and lack of peace because what happens if? And you go, well, what happens if God holds you like those hands and he can never let you go? Yeah, you'll have to learn to free fall a bit. But what happens if he is greater? So we're talking about this armor. It's interconnected through relationship. It's not this magic formula. And now the bad news. You see, the first three parts of the armor, the truth, put on the belt plate, that is Jesus. Put on the righteousness, that's what Jesus has done. Put on the boots of peace, that is peace that he gives you. Those are things that God gives you as you respond to his truth. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation. And the rest of the armor is about how do we actually respond. The helmet of salvation is about our mindsets. I want to read you something because this is, I don't often do this. This is from a guy called Dutch Sheets, which is a very strange name. But I, this just, I found this like would speak for me and I'm sure it would speak to you. He's given an example, which I'm not going to give right now because I'm reading a fair, a fair stretch of this. How many of us have felt the same way on our efforts to follow God? We asked Jesus into our heart and everything seemed different. The world went from a few muddy colors to high resolution, high definition vibrancy. The word was jumping off the page at us and his presence seemed to be everywhere we looked. Then we got sacked and something got broken. A sudden job loss revealed our lack of faith. A divorce mangled our self-worth and made us wonder if we could ever trust again. An unresisted temptation began an addiction to internet pornography. An unkind comment resurrected our suppressed bitterness toward a parent. Or a long-time struggle we thought would simply vanish when we embraced Christ suddenly re-reared its ugly head. Whatever single event or ongoing condition shook us out of our comfort zone, we began walking with a spiritual limp. Like a good Christian, we immediately ran a self-diagnosis, searched our Bible for a prescriptive quick-fix verse, and prayed hard that we'd never break in the same place again. But then we did. Again and again and again. Maybe we even had people lay hands on us, intercede for us, or act as our accountability partners. And yet, yet after the 500th time of giving in, it felt like we had no strength left to fight. We were ineffective in duking it out with the foaming anger that ran rampant. We felt weak in battling our lust. We succumbed to overeating. A negative self-image kept us trapped in the maze of fear, insecurity, and despair. And eventually we felt like a hopeless cause, an inept, ineffective Christian. Naturally, it's in this stage that the nagging question begins questions that seem so unspiritual and disloyal to our newfound God and his word, but questions that nonetheless are there and begin to eat away at our confidence and well-being. What happened? Why can't we seem to overcome our strongholds, much less our petty daily sins? Why is it so difficult to be free? Why are we perpetually broken? Why does it seem that there are so many struggling just to get by? Why didn't the lustful thoughts go away? Why didn't the desire for narcotics leave? Why should we even need a bumper sticker that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven? Aren't we supposed to be the ones who walk in victory over sin? Didn't Christ through his sacrifice already take care of our weaknesses? It says in Matthew 8:17, he himself took our weakness and carried our diseases. Anybody resonate? Let's give us another platitude. And part of the reason for that, and, and that's a genuine struggle, and that's a genuine reality, actually for everyone. 
And when it really ticks us off, when we see other people screwing up and then we say, well, I thought they were Christian. We have such a wrong view of what it means. And this is not a license. It's just a reality. And platituding away won't make, it any, won't make any change. So what many of us do is we, we quietly give up and we live defeated or we live in a way that says, I'm not going to get too involved because if you find out who I am and if you actually find out what I've struggled with or if you find out what I'm still struggling with, that's going to be even worse. So I'm just going to stay distant. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I pray that it'll encourage you because Jesus is all about relationship. He's all about reality. He's all about real life. He's not about spiritual pie in the sky. The thing with this armor is you put on the, tr- the belt of truth. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on the boots that are peace. You put on the helmet of salvation. You, put on, you pick up the faith. You have the sword. Those are all interconnected. You can't cherry pick the arm and say, I'll just have this piece. I just really like those boots. And when you become a Christian without any power, then you spend all your time looking at the design of the armor. How do I look good in this? And so I say, I'm, I'm, the, I'm first Baptist with boots. I am Anglican with the shield. I mean, we have our designers on, on these things and we, we totally lose the point of it all. And I was going to spend a whole sermon on this, but I think I'm just going to wind it into the rest of it, which is, you know that armor is all put on. And there's an element of uh, the armor is put on, but somebody has to live inside. And the person living inside is you. And so we have to come to terms with our responsibility. And one of the reasons we have those pages of disconnect and disillusion is because we think God is going to do it all. And he can't. He's, he's chosen relationship. And the thing too about this armor, and I, and, and I say this so often, but it's, I believe it so passionately, this, uh, you'll know that the armor of the Romans and the whole design of their fighting was about um, you're not and this is not designed that you're going to go into battle alone. Everything about the armor and everything about what is in the hand of the soldier is dependent upon you moving forward, which means what is the armor for my back? The armor for my back is my brother or my sister. And I say it again and again, the reason some of us never get anywhere is because we are shot again and again and again because we insist on walking alone. And then we blame God and he says, you're proud and you're isolated and you're an individualistic person and I'm afraid that's not part of my worldview or the way that you're going to grow. You need one another. You need to be caring for somebody's back and they need to be watching yours. And you know what? You can, the, the Roman army was the first army that began to train together. You've got to train together. You've got to work together. You've got to forgive one another. That's why Jesus said, you love one another as I have loved you, love them. You and I are perfect until we have relationships with people. And then all the stuff that isn't perfect in us rises up. That's what you take responsibility for. You don't blame John for what rises up in you when John's in your presence. John has issues, no question. Take hold of what rises up in you and say, why am I responding like that? Because one of the reasons many people don't grow as Christians is they spend all their time looking for excuses and then stabbing each other in the back. They're no victims. Stop doing it. So... How does this all work? Where are we going? Let's pull it back. The armor of the helmet of salvation is a mindset where God says, I have done this. I've given you Jesus. I have given you truth. I have given you a new identity. Now, what are you going to do with it? When, Jesus, when God took the people out of Egypt, he said, I have set you free. The blood of the lamb has caused you to be set free. Now go and take hold of the promised land. And they sent, uh, they sent scouts into the promised land And they said, the enemy looks like giants and we feel like grasshoppers or rabbits. And God said, no, 
You're actually the giant, but you have to learn how to change your mindset. And the issue for all of us, I guarantee it, is the mindsets we have. So how does this work? It's cool, actually, because it's this... um, Put on the helmet of salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is being reunited with God and walking with him, walking with Jesus. Paul talks about salvation as being, I I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. He's describing a process. In the beginning, what did God do? He created the world. Genesis 1 and 2 is all about creation. He created the, the earth, he created the sea, he created the sun, he created the moon, he creates. And then he gets a bit of sand and dust and he and he. he forms it together, it says, and he forms man in his image, clay. He takes some clay, and what does he do? He forms us. I got these in Oregon. You know why I got them? Because they were so cool. Because you, you probably can't see them very well from here, but they're very rough. The woman's just formed them with her hands, and she's fired them. And she hasn't actually tried to make them look pretty. But for me, what was so attractive was she captured something about rabbits in each posture. That was just very cool. So I paid $250 for these. And some of you say, oh my word. Well, now I give it as a sermon and I t- you know, it's a tax write-off. I'm joking. I'm joking. But these things, these things uh, capture, that they, they look like something. So imagine God creates Adam and he forms him. And he just goes, it would be so cool if this thing just came to life. Yeah. I've prayed, I've fasted for that to happen. And <laughs> <sighs> here today and here tomorrow. <laughs> but God... God's never given us that ability because if we could do that, he's the one who forms out of nothing. He's the one, one actually who forms out of something. Just an aside, God took, he created and then he took the, the, the earth and he created Adam out of the earth. And ever since then, God's always said, give me something to work with. We're often asking God, do it for me. And he says, I'll do it through you. And one of the reasons why we have this disconnect between what God's doing and why doesn't it work and stuff is because we disengage from the process. So God created and he breathed into these clay figures, life, Adam and Eve. I don't care how it all worked. We hear that you know, a few seconds or a minute is a thousand years in God's terms. I'm not going to argue with you about evolution and all that nonsense. It's important, but it's not critical in the sense of I don't care how to dot the I's and T's. God created and it could happen this way or that way. So what? It was a life-giving spirit given to human beings in a way that's different and unique in all creation. God created these and these became living. So imagine this was living. And they were, they were in the garden. I'm, I'm just going to accelerate through. And evil was in the world because the world was also the context of brokenness and rebellion in the spirit realm. And because evil could not overcome God, even evil attacks what God creates. And evil says, God didn't really say this. If you want to be like God's, eat of this fruit. And he created some doubt in them. And so they ate of the fruit in their innocence and their naivety, which is how many of us get into all kinds of things. It's not deliberate. It's just kind of curious. And it looked sweet. And it didn't, wasn't going to do anybody any harm. It's just an apple. What they hadn't factored in was what happened when you ate the apple and you had a conscience and you felt guilty. And then you had to walk in the garden with God. He said, I'll kill you if you do it. Because I cannot live with you. If I come into the presence of now a corrupted creation, you will die. And you will be eternally separated from me. And you don't want hell like that. And so he had to say, if you do this, then I have to distance myself from you. Because you have created, you've taken what I created in you and you've now, you've destroyed it to the point where I cannot be with you because for your own sake. And so those, if I could do this, those life-giving rabbits sort of became half fossilized again in the fall. And they no longer were the life that God had created 
And so they limped half clay, half, half spirit into a broken world, which is what we have inherited. And when Jesus came, Jesus was the first one in whom the breath of God lived like in Adam. And he lived among us. And they said, there is something different. He says, it's the spirit of God restored into human flesh. So Jesus went to the cross and said, I'm not just here to do a kind of, look what, look what you'd missed out on. God just sent me to tell you just how far you've got, how far you've fallen. Must suck to be you. No, he didn't. He said, this is what I intended for you. But that was stolen and destroyed. But I have come because of my love to overcome what has stolen and destroyed you so that we can be restored and reconciled. So when Jesus went to the cross and he rose again, what did he do? He breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive that which was lost, which could not even be given back to you. Why? How many of you wash your dishes? How many of you have dishwashers? Apart from your husbands or your wives or your children. How many of you are going to go home and have lunch on dirty plates? Well, God doesn't like that. He doesn't feel dirty either. He cleans. So if you want to be filled with God, he's got to clean out the gunk that's been there before. And that's what he does on the cross. That's what he does with the blood of Jesus. All the sin, all the rebellion, all the things that have got in the way, God actually takes upon himself. And so he says, I will clean you so that I can fill you. That's what grace means. So what does this have to do with soldiers? It's about changing mindsets. So when Jesus, when you come to Jesus and say, I am done with this clay life. I'm done with my lead feet. I'm done. I there must be more to life than this. There must be more to life than just my efforts. There must be more to life than this longing for something that I keep trying to fulfill and I can't get anywhere. I was just reading the biography of Joy, whatever her name is, who married C.S. Lewis. She was an atheist and she was a rampant atheist, part of the Communist Party in the early 1900s. And her husband, she was married to a guy who was a drunk and a womanizer and everything was falling apart. She loved the creative style. She was very good in literary. And she thought one day her husband didn't come home and she, saw, she thought he was on a bridge and he was about to jump off because he had gone a little crazy. And she suddenly realized that everything she had wasn't enough. And she said she felt the presence of the Spirit of God in her. And she was an atheist because God searches out the last and he never gives up. And it was in that moment that she began to waken to maybe there's more and then spent the next three or four years just researching it, doing it until she came. And that's how she started her relationship with C.S. Lewis because he was writing apologetics about Christianity. You see, the greatest thing you can do is to actually start doing something about wherever you are to help yourself grow or to answer questions. And so there's this thing of this hunger, this frustration, which should never leave us, actually. There should always be a desire for more. But there's this basic cry, there's got to be more. I don't want to live with regret. I don't want to live with shame. I don't want to live with always wishing if only. And so often we are disqualified from the future because we are locked into our past. So often we are disqualified from hoping for the future because we've just been let down so many times in the past or we've screwed it up ourselves. And there's a basic humility that says, well then give up and let God. And so these creatures come to Jesus and say, I want to follow you as he calls them and he begins to bring them to them new life. So now what happens? He says, when you come into new life, just as you like come to the promised land, your inheritance is out there and I go and get it. But I feel nervous. I feel afraid. I feel unworthy. I feel like a rabbit. He says, you're a soldier. But I feel like a rabbit. Are you wearing the belt of truth? What's the truth? I have taken hold of you. I have redeemed you. I have paid for your sin. I have placed a, a, a shield, on, a, a breastplate on you that says, you are my much loved son and daughter. What's your problem? Well, I don't believe it. Well, then work on believing it. 
Because if you're going to change your mindset, how you think about God and you is very critical. And I don't want to hear... I wanted Dee to come up here, actually, and give another test me, but I'm going to put... She wrote me this cool test me, which, which um, I'm going to put in the trail notes. If, is that okay, Dee? Or you can come up and say it now. You choose. <laughs> Knew that was going to happen. But one of the, D, one of the biggest things, Dee, I, I'm going to boast about you here, because she said, I just had one thing to say. And she said, I went down to Bethel, and, and in capital letters at the end of two and a half paragraphs, which I'll put in trail notes, she says, the Father loves me. And I said... Well, if that's the one thing you have a testimony about, most people will kill for that. But that's your, how you think about God and how you believe God thinks about you is critical. He loves you. He absolutely adores you. But that doesn't change all the stuff that I just read at the beginning. Because from his side, that's where he's coming from. From this side, well, why isn't it easier? If he loves me, why does he let this happen? He said, well, you're going to be in the world, not of the world. So I'm telling you to start walking into your future, and you're going to trust me. And as you trust me, I'm going to grow you. And you're going to need this armor. And you're going to need one another. And you're going to need to walk in community into the inheritance that I have. So what's the problem? Well, this is the problem. We think, so I make all these notes and then sort of, I guess I keep them. John 3.16. In the beginning, no, that's not John, that's one. The word became flesh. Good, some of you are awake. John 3.16. God so loved the world. Oh, another thing I forgot to tell you. Another rabbit. He's got his ears up. He's interested. When God created, he created and he made man and he made Eve out of, out of Adam. When we do this, we go, oh, this looks good. Five people in here. We should mass produce it. And so what is done by hand becomes done by machine and it becomes mass produced. God does not mass produce. God takes hold of you. And when he says be fruitful and multiply, he says, I'm not just talking about sex now. I'm talking about actually friendship. I'm talking about caring. He's talking about pay attention to people around you. I'm not going to mass produce me anywhere, ever, because I love people. As much as I love you, I love the person next to you. I love the people that irritate you to death. And I love the people that bless you to life. And I just want you to understand that when you're seeing things that irritate you to death, they're half-baked. They're dealing with their stuff. So get over it. It takes time. That's why we need one another sometimes, just to vent. What happens? John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So I gave my heart to Jesus. Now I have eternal life. Amen. That's where our problem is. You know why it's our problem? Because when I asked Jesus into my life, he took me out of Egypt. When I asked Jesus into my life and I, I actually responded to his call on my life, and said, Jesus, yes, I want to know you. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. I thought that that was then the end of it. Now I'm going to heaven. Yes, you are. Your spirit has been changed and you've been born again and you've become a new creation. The only problem is you're still on this earth, you're not in heaven and you've got a soul. And your soul is your mind and your body. And your soul is the promised land that has to be inhabited. Your soul is the physical, tangible life that you live with other people. That's the part that doesn't change quickly. That's the part. You see, these guys have lived with the emphasis on the clay, the emphasis on the image that they portray. They've lived from the outside in. When God touches your life and touches your spirit, he touches what's inside. And this thing has to learn how to submit to the spirit. And your spirit has to learn how to take authority over this. And that's what takes the time. And that's where you and I have responsibility because you can either feed it or you can ignore it. And you, can go and you can go up for prayer a thousand times and say, God, please do this, please do this. And he goes, I did that the first time you asked in 1940. You just haven't appropriated it. Let me give you an example. 
I'm a caterpillar going on a tree and I believe and I hear from my destiny because a prophetic word was given to me by another caterpillar was that God has placed in you the DNA to be, a, to be flying. And if you could see what God has for you now, you wouldn't even believe it. You wouldn't even look the same. It's in your DNA. When, God, when you're born in, by the Spirit, God's DNA comes into you. His identity comes into you. You have the potential that you never had before. You have to step into that. That's the process. That's why you need the armor. You see, God can't do in you something that only you can do because he, he values free will. Is this making sense to you? And some of you, quite frankly, are downright lazy. You really are. You think coming to church is going to change anything. It's not. It's going to make you a hypocrite. And some of you think, oh, I'll just, go to, I'll just listen to music and say, Jesus, you understand. I'm a special case. And, you know, you don't expect that from me. And I'm only speaking like this because I did it for years, particularly when I was rebelling. And there's a point where God is able to, to just wait and say, I don't change for you, but I long for you. Now, you think I'm talking nonsense. When James writes... Uh, in, in James chapter 1, he talks about, he, I'll, I'll just summarize it for you. He talks about how sin, you might remember, and he's talking about the struggle, and he says, you know, sin becomes a seed in you, and then it's developed, and it's planted, and then it eventually grows, and you act out. He talks about how sin grows in us, and then we do it. Well, the same is true with how God's spirit works. It's got to be nurtured. It grows so that it can be worked out. And, and so salvation, the helmet of salvation, is about a mindset that begins to think differently. I'm now not thinking from a place of how can I be accepted by God. I'm thinking now from a place of God, you have wonderfully redeemed me. How can I serve you? But how can I be your child in this world? How can I be a living rabbit? But now I'm a soldier, not a rabbit. My identity is no longer, I'm terrified of everything. Whenever trouble comes, I hop away. I live underground and I, I just nibble grass. Now I'm rising up and I'm super bunny. I'm a totally different mindseted rabbit. And people go, whoa, what happened to that? Said, so there's been a whole mindset change. He doesn't see himself the same way anymore. He's bold. He's got hope. He's got a future. He's still got issues. But now his eyes are on the head rabbit. Now his eyes are on something bigger than him. His identity has changed. Everything is a process. That's why I've got it written on my office wall. Everything is a process. The, the promised land, you know, the promised land was given and they had to possess it. They didn't possess it for 40 years out of unbelief. Many of us are way behind, as Graham Cook would say, what we could actually have because we won't enter into the process. Every, there are things that God has for you that you have to walk into to receive. You have to believe him for the things that are still your empty, empty spaces. You have to believe him for the things that aren't resolved. Because you're walking from a place of a God who adores you and he loves you. So he knows the cries of your heart. So instead of sulking, you say, well, take hold of what you can. Believe him for what's not there. And he will give you more and more of the promised land as you walk. So you've got to feed your spirit so that your body stops controlling your life. Your emotions stop controlling your life. You have to nurture your spirit. That's what the armor is all about. It's about nurturing your spirit, feeding your spirit so that your spirit can actually hear God and then you can respond to God and you can actually move in the ways that will bring you life. And as you exercise that, you become stronger and stronger. So the things that did tempt you don't tempt you any longer. The things that did discourage you don't discourage you any longer because you believe for what you don't yet see. And you're stronger. You're a soldier, not a bunny. You begin to resist. You begin to stand up. You begin to say, here I am. I want to fight. Instead of oh, just keeping, there's so many Christian rabbits around. It's disgusting. That's why they've put bunnies as Easter moment, you know, Easter bunnies because of the Christians. Smash the bunnies in you, and let God raise you up to be a soldier that you were intended to be. I can give you all these scriptures. 
Because you see, one thing, some of you are switched off because you really don't want to be told that you're responsible. And I'll tell you what rises up in you at that point. When, when you are called up, and you're called up for army, when you're called up by God and his spirit, and he suddenly says, I don't want to hear your excuses, and I don't want to hear what you can't do or I can't do, and you're like Moses, oh, I can't speak. I want you to hear that I, have, I, I believe in you and I will instill in you everything you need to do what I need for you to do. But I'm going to tell you some things. You need to know my word. You need to walk with one another in community. And you need to start moving. But you need to establish where your truth is. What is your baseline for truth? It's relationship with Jesus. It's not anything else. I don't care how you feel. Take your feelings and bring them into alignment with Jesus. Talk to him about it, but let him define you, not your experience. You will die in that. I want you to deal with your identity once and for. Are you my son or my daughter or are you not? And if you're my son or your daughter, my sons and daughters do not behave like this. And I want you to stop counseling one another into bunny daughters and bunny sons. Seriously. Stop counseling the rabbit. Call up the soldier. Stop counseling. Part of the time we're counseling people because we're walking alongside them in the way that they keep running down rabbit holes being victims. So we're trying to make victims feel good. Bring the victim to the cross. Start saying, what is your identity? What's preventing you from walking in your identity? Let's call that up. And some people will walk off and you're going to have to say, give me a call when you want to come back. There are lots of people in that place. Jesus says, what did he say in John? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will not grow. We have to die. The body has to die so the spirit can live. That's the whole tension. The body is used to being in control, so it will fight you until you say, no, I'm sorry. I mean, the spirit is in control. Am I making sense? It's a battle, but it's, it's already been won. It's about us stepping into it. That's why we need one another, because sometimes you need somebody to say, will you stop whining? Will you actually stand up and will you just face your stuff? I want you to feel sorry for me. I mean, look what they said. To me. I said, what they said might not be right. They're as wounded as you are. Well, I'm not like them. I, 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 don't, I don't need a lot of healing. Well, then why isn't your life radiating the love of Jesus? Why isn't your life radiating something like servanthood and lack of selfishness and great generosity? When I talk to you about money, you look the other way. Why has money got such a hold of you? Well, you don't realize how hard it is. I don't care how hard it is. Listen. If you want to hear God speaking to you, listen to what is in you. It's simple. Everybody in this room is hearing God right now. You're either encouraged by something or you're resisting something. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the blame for your whatever it is. Yeah, you've got a half-baked rabbit man here doing this talking. But I trust God to use that. So he and I, we'll work our stuff out. You work your stuff out. Does this make sense to you? You don't, you don't really like this. This actually gives you hope because you don't have to stay where you are. And you know, we can talk about this every single week until we die because it's never going to change. It's a principle. It's a principle that the spirit in me is what is going to release my body, but my body is going to resist, so we need, we need that journey. It's the taking of the promised land. I wonder what, I think I might stop there. You see, my point with the caterpillar and the butterfly was, I might have a prophetic word about my DNA, what God has in you. I, I, God can call up and say, you know, you're going to be the most forgiving, compassionate person. I'm going to call you up to speak in front of people, or I'm going to call you to, to, to just uh, lay hands on the sick. Whatever it's going to be, let's pretend... I'm the, the, the caterpillar butterfly. The caterpillar can say, I have a prophetic word from God that I'm going to fly and I'm going to be transformed. Well, the caterpillar is not going to get very far if in great faith and boldness with a chorus playing from the treetops, he jumps off the branch as a caterpillar. He's going to be squashed on the ground. And you go, well, I thought God said. 
Yeah, God said he was going to do it. He didn't say you were going to do it by being stupid. And what does he teach the caterpillar? You're going to crawl up that branch and then you're going to die. You're going to become something in a cocoon and out of that you're going to be born into something else. The same process is true in our spiritual lives. That he takes us into places and cocoons us, if you will. Maybe that armor is like a cocoon where he says, I'm going to cocoon you in this era of your life so we can birth something else. But it's got to be laid down. It's got to die. Because it's the only way. You see, the thing is, I mean, we're going to take Daryl's funeral. And I'm saying this incredibly respectfully and and sensitively. I'm merely saying we we are, but what are we going to boast about? The shell is dead, but the spirit is alive. This is just a shell. It's always just a shell. It's always just a shell. It never is going to last forever. It always ends up in an urn. Always. It's the spirit that brings life. Spirit that comes to life. Spirit that can't be killed. So why would you invest in something that's so temporary at the expense of something that's eternal? Why would you trust God? Why would you spend all your time and thousands of dollars trying to make this thing pretty all the time? And the spirit is the one that's actually neglected. But that's the one that's going to live on. And so as God begins to grow in us, he begins to start calling our, our spirit up to life. And then the spirit is, it's the spirit that causes us to be dissatisfied with the body. And that's why I say when things rise up in you and there's a resistance to even something I might be saying, it's probably your body saying, I don't want to hear that. But let your spirit say, no, we need to hear that. And then you give, we're going to to pray in about a minute where we're basically asking God to feed our spirits, give us the strength inside to make the choices that will bring us to life. So we can walk in the inheritance, no longer slaves, but we are now free to take hold of the land that you've given us. All the disconnects that I read about right at the beginning are because we actually think that there's a way to have that happen without a process. Everything is a process. So we live as soldiers who say we are now free and we are anticipating a future and we're saying, God, I want to be part of it. Let's stand. Because of his great love for us, God is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You are now seated in the spirit in the heavenly realms. You are now seated. Your spirit is one with God. It doesn't make sense to us. Peter talks about you're receiving the salvation of your souls. It's something that's ongoing. It's not a momentary thing. So, Father, we just come before you right now. The worship team can come up because we're going to sort of minister through it as well. And we just bring you mindsets. We bring you our mindsets about how you feel about us, how you think about us, and how we think about you. Talk to him about that right now. Don't tune out, because if you tune out, all you're doing is actually giving up an opportunity to, make a diff- to have him uh, make a difference. And he says to you that you are much loved. You are not just a clay pigeon or a clay bunny or a creation. You are much more than that. He breathes his spirit on you and says, I want to remind you again that you are my son, you are my daughter. Where is your mindset with God this morning? Is it one of surviving or is it one of anticipation? Is it one where you know that you are deeply loved? Is it one that is filled with blaming everybody else for your condition? Because right now is the time to stop that. It's time to stop saying it's anybody else's fault. It doesn't mean what they do is right. It just means I don't have to be trapped in it. And it's time to say, Father, I want you to work in me so that you can work through me. And I'm going to be gracious. It doesn't mean we don't challenge each other. It doesn't mean we keep quiet about things that shouldn't be done. It just means 
that we're going to do that in a way that brings life to ourselves and to others. And we can't do that in our own strength. That's why we need God's Spirit. That's why one of the fruits of God's Spirit is peace and joy and kindness and goodness. It's an evidence of His Spirit at work in our clay bodies. So ask Him to fill you. Whatever it is you lack, ask Him to fill you. And Father, I pray that you will anoint each person here with the helmet of salvation in a deeper way this morning. That we will not be discouraged in the process. We have been made new by your Spirit. And we are being made new in this journey on earth together. So we're going to live in that tension with humility and with great expectation. And yes, our bodies get diseased and our bodies get broken and our spirits get broken. But God says, but I'm still able to do exceedingly more than you can ask or imagine. You're going to learn here how to wait on God. Do you know how to wait on God? Just to be still right now. Just to open your heart to Him. If you get easily distracted, the chances are He wants to teach you how to not be distracted, how to allow Him to touch your heart right now. It's right now. Holy Spirit, right now. Give Him something to work with. Father, I'm asking you today to touch our spirits with a new revelation of your goodness and your love. To be encouraged to know that we have been saved, we are saved, we will be saved. And your body might need healing. We've already had prayer for healing, but it might need healing you might be in pain or there's certainly a word out over uh, diabetes because when, when a, a, a testimony is given, a promise comes with it. We're going to sing uh, that song which we're going to carry on singing in this church until, I don't know, until nobody is sick. Healing is here. I'm going to just invite you, you know, if, if you're saying to God, yes, I want, to, I, I want to cease, I'm taking responsibility for my life and I want to take hold of this word and I want to go deeper in the promised land or I, I need physical healing, um, I'm going to just encourage you because I really believe that God is continually saying to us, we need to not just be spectators but participants. But if you want, as we sing that, you just come up to the front here and stand here and sing it as a declaration to God that this is what I desire. And uh, participate, because he longs, he longs, he longs to say yes. So Holy Spirit, I just speak blessing over this time. Will you minister to us in Jesus' name?